Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. This week, we're going to look ahead and discuss how the organization will ramp up services as work continues to flatten the curve of COVID-19. Before we get into that, be sure you take a look back at any previous episodes of The Wrap you may have missed. You can find all episodes on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or any other podcast hosting platform. New episodes debut weekly and can always be found as part of the headlines we can review. With that, let's bring in two members of the organization's leadership team, Drs. Michael Mulholland and David Miller, who are helping to coordinate the ramping up efforts across Michigan Medicine. First, can the two of you please introduce yourselves and explain your roles? Good morning. I'm Mike Mulholland. I'm the executive director of the University of Michigan Medical Group. And so that means that I have uh, administrative responsibilities for the, the professional practice, which is the physicians that work at Michigan Medicine and for ambulatory services, which are the things that you can walk into and out of. The only thing exception from that is the emergency room. That's something you can walk into and out of that's part of Dr. Miller's responsibility. Good morning. Thank you, Dan. Uh, thank you, Dr. Mahal. I'm David Miller. I'm a urologist here at at University of Michigan, and I'm also the chief clinical officer for the adult inpatient hospital, so for University Hospital and the Cardiovascular Center. And my responsibilities include uh, clinical and operational leadership for inpatient care delivery at Michigan Medicine. Perfect. Now, how is the organization devising its plan for ramping up work? What sort of is taken into account when deciding which procedures and which locations are reopening first? So maybe I'll, I'll talk about the outpatient side and then David can talk about the inpatient side. So what we did uh, is to ramp down very rapidly. And as we did that, we decided which group of patients we would s- still see. And that was everybody had an emergency problem or a very urgent problem. But for those patients that had a health problem that could be safely deferred, we deferred their care for a while in order to protect them from the virus, in order to preserve resources like masks and gowns, and in order to make sure that we kept the staff and the patients safe. And now that the infection rate is down, we're going to open back up, and we're going to open back up in a way that, first of all, keeps patients and staff safe. I'll explain how that comes into this and then tries to see the patients first that have the most urgent problems. Like for example, somebody had a recent cancer diagnosed, they'd be first to the line. And then gradually the people have less urgent problems and then find those people who have healthcare that's just surveillance, like an annual pap examination or an annual mammogram or a routine surveillance colonoscopy. Those would be kind of the surveillance things. So as we ramp back up, we have to be really careful about keeping people safe. And the main way that plays out is we have to have social distancing in our clinics. You can imagine in the pre-COVID days, a clinic waiting room would be really jammed with people and they'd be all really close to each other. So now we have to devise ways to keep them separated. And in the main, that means that we have them come in at a slower pace and in a different way. So when somebody comes to the entrance, they're asked if they have any symptoms that might suggest COVID. 
fever, cough, and so on. If they do not, they go into the regular entrance. If they do, they go to a separate entrance. So we try to segregate the patients in that way. And then instead of waiting in a waiting room for a while, we try to take them directly to an examination room so that they are sequestered from the other patients. And then we give the patients and any accompanying visitor a mask so that they also wear a mask as do the people that work in the clinic. And those kind of uh, necessary and important precautions uh, uh, slow things down. So we need to offer additional hours. So one of the things that we're doing is to open up an hour earlier and we're staying open later in the day and offering more services on Saturdays in order to try to get uh, caught up on the people that had deferred care in a safe way and to see the new patients in a safe way. And so that we've kind of ramped back up slowly over about a five or six week period in order to try to do that in a logical way and, uh, and in a safe way. So, so those, maybe uh, Dr. Miller now can explain how that, those principles play out in the kind of a different era, area of the inpatient side. Thank you, Mike. And yes, I'd, I'd echo a lot of the, um, the structure and, and comments shared by Dr. Mulholland. I think the first step in thinking about the ramp up is really to have a set of guiding principles that, that help us um, with decision making in a really complex time. If you look back to early April in the adult hospitals, um, our clinical activity other than taking care of um, patients with COVID was really limited to urgent and emergent surgical procedures and patients presenting to the emergency department. And the number of patients presenting in, to the emergency department actually decreased quite a bit during the pandemic as well. So um, the different um, ways by which patients end up being admitted to the hospital, whether by uh, through the emergency department for scheduled procedures, scheduled admissions, uh, or transfers were all um, reduced with a, a big exception being transfers where we were very busy throughout the pandemic uh, accepting patients and transfer from health systems all over the state to, uh, to support our colleagues and to support our patients and families. And so as we started to think about the ramp up, you know, the guiding principles that have really been helpful include a focus on the safety of our patients and employees, and that's paramount. I think a, a focus on equity when it comes to access to care, both for patients with COVID and patients with conditions other than COVID where care was postponed, and then to continue to be, uh, to maintain our commitment to citizens of the state for taking care of patients with complex conditions. And so working within those principles, the ramp up for the inpatient hospitals largely reflected the uh, resuming scheduled surgeries and certain scheduled admissions to the hospital. And it was there where, as, as Mike described, a focus on starting with those patients who had the most time-sensitive conditions that had been postponed as a consequence of the pandemic. So both in University Hospital and the Cardiovascular Center, patients with cancer or patients with symptomatic cardiovascular disease were the first patients for whom uh, uh, surgery was um, was started once again. And that really began kind of in mid-April with progressive increases over the next six weeks uh, to, uh, to now in the middle of June. So I think, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is sort of this phased approach, right, to ramping up services and starting at one level and 
uh, eventually phasing in a different level and moving from there. Is safety sort of the number one reason that the phased approach is so important? Yes, it is. And, and also because we have to be careful that we have some limited resources. I mean, we still only have a certain amount of testing and we had to be careful we don't run out of face masks. And we had to be careful that we don't, uh, in the course of doing this, that we uh, don't endanger the, the, the faculty or the staff or the patients. So just as an example, if you come to the clinic and we offer everyone a mask and every accompanying visitor a mask, we have to be careful we don't run out of masks. So that then has to be you know, matched up to the, the kind of illnesses we see uh, in the way that I just described. Uh, and that's why it, it kind of ramps up a little bit slowly. Mm-hmm. So what sort of metrics are used and, and what sort of things are taken into account as we move from one phase to the next? So uh, Dan, if I could just follow up on Mike's last mm-hmm. comment briefly, because I do think you know safety is is a key determinant of, of of the phased approach, and and it's important in a couple of dimensions. One is you know safety of our patients and team members in terms of risk of of um, COVID, but also safety in terms of ensuring we have adequate. Re- and timely resources for all of the care that occurs for patients without COVID. And so um, Mike mentioned the availability of, of masks and personal protective equipment as, and testing as a, as a key factor in our efforts to limit any transmission of, of COVID within the organization for patients and team members. But also we have to make sure that we have enough ICU beds for complex surgeries that would be that would be scheduled. And while we're taking care of many patients with COVID who are still in the ICU, making sure that there's adequate availability of ICU beds for patients scheduled for surgery or patients transferred for conditions other than COVID was a big part of, of the consideration and an important reason for the phased approach to the ramp up. Um, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll answer your next question related to metrics. And then uh, I know that, that Dr. Mulholland will have additional thoughts. I think on the inpatient side, we've looked very carefully at a number of factors. Included among these are bed capacity. At our baseline before the pandemic, we operated at a very high occupancy, somewhere in the order of 95 to 100%. And so making sure that there is adequate capacity in the hospital, taking into account the fact that we continue to care for patients with COVID has been a big part of our operational decision-making. So we've used some some analytic tools to help us predict how many beds will be needed depending on the number of surgeries that are scheduled and then use this to to allow allocation of operative time to our 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 faculty and clinical departments to make sure again that we're meeting meeting the needs and ensuring safety for for patients as we continue to to increase surgery we're also very focused on looking at the implications of increased activity uh, again for the safety of our, our patients and team members as it relates to risks related to COVID. So we look regularly at results of testing. Are we seeing any increase in the proportion of patients that are testing positive for for COVID as we do preoperative testing? And are we seeing any increase in the proportion of positive tests among team members? These are all measures that we're monitoring on a weekly basis, sharing this information through the hospital command center and with key operational partners in ambulatory care, our M-Plan leadership teams, supply chain, laboratory medicine, all of this done in an effort to be carefully coordinated with ambulatory care, the children and women's hospital and other partners across the organization. Yeah, and Dr. Mulholland, is there, is, are, are similar measures and metrics taken into account on the outpatient side? 
For sure. And we've uh, also invented some uh, new measurements metrics. As an example, as we were ramped down, we accumulated a lot of patients that needed to have surgery. You know, in the end, we ended up with 12,000 people wait, waiting to have an operation. And so one of the metrics we invented was a system to score how urgent their problem was, let's say one to 10. The, the one would be not urgent at all, 10 would be something almost life-threatening. And so we lined up all the patients from one to 10 and decided to work on them from 10 to one in that order. And so we that was a, s- a system which was invented on the fly here and validated uh, in the course of just a few days uh, and then used it to inform kind of a just, safe, and equitable way to, to work from the from the front of the line. That would tell what patients went to the front of the line. Mm-hmm. Patient the new cancer, front of the line. Somebody that had a sore hip, kind of the middle of the line. Somebody that wanted to have a cosmetic operation, you know, just purely a cosmetic, the end of the line. Because the first patient needs something right away. Second patient needs something but could wait a while. Third patient's just completely elective. Mm-hmm. And so we did, we used kind of regular things. And we also had to make up new measurements as we went along because nobody's ever seen a problem like this in our professional lifetimes. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's interesting that we don't really know, right? We don't know how long the pandemic will be here. We don't know. Um, from the beginning, we didn't really know so much about this disease itself. Um, how long, in your professional opinions, do you foresee sort of the ramp up process? I know it's begun, you know, it began almost yeah. two months ago. How mm-hmm. long do you foresee this ramp up process taking before the organization reaches pre-COVID levels of service? So we're talking today in mid-June. And I think the, the ramp up or the reopening of our practices will be completed by about a month from now, the mid to late July. But I will also tell you that we're not going to open every single thing all the way back up for two reasons. The first is there's going to be some people with COVID taking up some of the capacity. And Dr. Miller can talk about how we're going to reserve some part of the hospital for that. And the second thing is it could come back again in the fall. And if it does, we need to have some slack in the system so we can accommodate those patients without having to crash up and down. You know, we can't re- really afford to be whipsawed like that. So we, we need to have some capacity, some slack. And, you know, that is also part of the reason that we're going to ask people to see patients later in the day, to see them on Saturdays. It creates that additional uh, elbow room for should we have another a surge or a small blip or a big surge in the fall. Thanks. I think, Dan, it's a really important question and a, and, a, and a challenging one. There's probably no perfect way to forecast um, the timing of everything. I, I think a couple things. First, it's critical to go back to the to the guiding principles of how do we keep our teams and patients safe? How do we achieve equity in terms of access for care of patients with COVID and, and those without COVID. And the reality, and, and we, as we think about this across the whole enterprise, that right now we're, we're managing in what's been referred to as a, as a plateau, a, a smaller but stable number of patients, at least 
um, in the in the inpatient hospital with COVID that, that we continue to uh, take care of and make sure we have have access expertise and resources to meet the needs of patients with COVID. And then being prepared though for the, the possibility or probability of, of outbreaks or clusters of recurrence of COVID and even, even a resurgent pandemic, whether in the late summer or fall. And so, you know, these, these issues are kind of at the forefront and impacting kind of operational uh, decision makings day in and day out. And a good example is the decision to, uh, to, to close the respiratory or the regional infectious containment unit or the RICU, which um, will likely be closing sometime this month, but we will have to be prepared for the possibility to reopen that and to have some objective criteria by which we understand increasing risk of a, of a resurgence and be prepared prospectively uh, to, to adjust to that. And I think when, when I think about the timing of the ramp up, I mean, we know that in, in the month of May, actually, on the inpatient side, we did have a fairly significant ramp up in activity. Our inpatient surgical cases were close to 70 to 80% of our pre-COVID volumes. Now, our outpatient surgery and other activity was less, but from inpatient surgery, it, it did ramp up substantively, and that will continue in June. And I think that reflects, as Dr. Mulholland talked about, the really significant acuity of the conditions for patients for whom care had been postponed. And our teams, our, our, all of our teams across the whole organization have worked incredibly hard to meet the needs of these patients and, and deserve huge amounts of credit for, for the timeliness and outstanding care. My personal feeling, and I say this with humility, is that it will likely be around August when we achieve some stable, from, for example, from the perspective of allocation of, of operating room time. Of course, all of our teams, our, our faculty, our nursing colleagues, all of our teams want to know when, when will we know exactly what the OR schedule looks like and how that will be over the long term. And there's no, there's no absolute simple answer to that right now because there are a number of factors still at play. But we do anticipate that by August, hopefully we'll, we will be able to, to achieve some stable allocation of, of operative time that will represent uh, a, a new normal, if you will. Now we'll have to be prepared for adjustments based on the pandemic, but we understand um, the importance of that for our teams and for our patients. But I think it's also important, and this is something that Dr. Mulholland and I and many others have worked very hard on, that we recognize that, that our operations moving forward will be different than they, they have been before and, and perhaps forever. And they were gonna require more teamwork, more collaboration. The number of outpatient surgeries that we do in the inpatient hospitals is likely to be less than it was before the pandemic so that we can fully take advantage of our, our tremendous facilities and expertise in, in Brighton and at East Ann Arbor. So the, the balance of where we do cases and when we do cases, for instance, will change just as Dr. Mulholland described changes in where we'll see patients in the ambulatory setting. And all of this is really, focused on achieving the best possible consistency with our guiding principles in the long-term uh, long um, access outcomes for our patients in the organization. Yeah, I think that segues perfectly into my next question. I was going to ask sort of even looking beyond COVID, right? Once we, you know, have a vaccine or whatever the beyond COVID looks like, quote unquote, what sort of, you know, besides what you just mentioned, uh, long-term changes do you foresee for the organizational structure? I actually think there's going to be an enormous change and uh, that we're never, ever going back to the way it used to be. A really clear example is the use of virtual care. 
So in uh, February, before the COVID crisis, 99.5% of our patients were seen in person and very few people use virtual care. In last year, 4,000 virtual care visits. In the month of April, 80% of all care was done virtually, an amount that would equal half of our historic volume. And if you put the month of April into uh, an annual basis, it'd be over 600,000 up from 4,000. So, and what we learned from that was uh, we could do a lot of things virtually. And also the patients loved it. There were a lot of uh, things that really didn't come to mind until you'd experienced it. As an example, the average person that has an outpatient operation drives 51 miles one way to see the doctor postoperatively. And if then they uh, park, and then they come into the clinic, and then they wait for the doctor, and then the doctor comes in and takes, say, 15 minutes. And then they unpark and they drive 51 miles home. So when we studied the patients, they loved the idea that it took 15 minutes in their home, in their kitchen, in their den on their patio, and they didn't have to do all that. So some things cannot be done in person on virtually, but a lot of things can. So one of the big things I think that's going to come from this is virtual care will change the face of medicine forever. And that I think is a direct uh, outcome uh, from the COVID crisis. That's probably a positive thing. Not all the things that we experienced in the last two months were negative. A lot were, but this, but this is something that wasn't. Dr. Miller, do you have something to anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I think there are going to be a number of, of long-term changes that are, that are important and that um, you know are worthy of discussion and evaluation over time. And and I think you know what we've seen organizationally is, um, for instance, really facilitated uh, transfer decisions for patients in outside hospitals. So making it as easy as possible for patients who are who who are in need of the expertise and services available at Michigan Medicine to arrive in our facility and, re and receive that care. And there's been treme tremendous collaboration and teamwork across the organization to achieve that. And we very much want to preserve that over time. Yeah. I think the extended OR availability, including Saturday OR access is really important uh, for our patients and to allow us to, to help as many patients as we can within the, the constraints that we have. But I think we'll have to be mindful of what that means for our teams. That is an extra day of, of busy clinical activity and kind of and, and being mindful of that and evaluating it regularly over time for what it means for our team members is very important. And then finally, I think one of the things during the pandemic that I think we all saw that we would like to preserve is the ability to have expedited decision-making and communication across the organization. I think we've learned a lot about our ability to make change in the organization in a, in a timely fashion. And I think if we can preserve that moving forward as well, it will be very helpful for our patients and teams over the long term. Now, on a slightly more short-term scale, I know a lot of our employees have been working from home um, and will soon be heading back in, right, to the, the hospitals and health centers. What sort of major changes should those employees expect to see when they return? Well, uh, so first of all, I'd say that um, I think we've also proved to ourselves that, that many people can continue to work from home. 
and uh, and I think many fewer people will actually be driving into the to the various cemetery sites or into the main on the hill site than used to in the past, and to their to their great benefit. Um, there are a lot of things that we do in person uh, that could be done on site. That could be done at home. For example, our call centers and scheduling that could probably be done at home. And we expect that about 30% of those people will work from home um, going forward. So there'll be fewer of that. I think when they're on the amatory site, what they will see when they come in is that at least for the next year or two, till, till we get a vaccine, that there'll be a different way of working. They'll be inside of the building, social distancing. People will be wearing masks. There'll be far you know, greater uh, attention to uh, things, you know, like cleanliness and uh, between each patient. And um, I think maybe some things will be less comfortable than before. So as an example, uh, we won't be able to permit as many people to go into the lunchroom together because they're close. I have to stagger lunches. It won't be as easy for a bunch of people to go in and talk to the patient at the same time because the exam rooms are small. And we're just going to have to figure out kind of a new way of dealing with things until that gets done. And some things are going to be uh, intuitive and easy, and some things are going to be kind of hard. Just we should be clear about that. I, you know, I, I agree with Mike's comments. I think that you know, a lot of the changes that we'll see are focused on our continued emphasis on safety of, for patients and our team. So we do anticipate that we'll be continuing to wear masks um, for the foreseeable future, both in the inpatient and ambulatory setting. The importance of social distancing, the impact of, the, of, of differences in visitor policies and what that means for our patients and our families and our team members. And those have been difficult, you know, difficult um, circumstances to have you know family members in the hospital and not not be able to be there at the bedside and it's difficult for you know for our patients and for our, our team members and I think we have to acknowledge that and and you know Dan I think in addition to the all of the the changes we've discussed I think you know for all of us in the organization I think it's it's critical to really acknowledge you know how difficult the, these times have been for our patients and, and for our families overall. And as we think about this idea of returning to our new normal operations, um, we have to recognize that impact. I think we have to, as an organization, you know, remain kind and empathetic and flexible as we work through these changes together and we try to meet the needs of our, of our patients while also supporting our team members across the organization. I mean, I think that has to be a, a, a relentless you know, priority or for all of us. And I think as, as leaders, we have to be committed to, you know, regular and purposeful communication that supports transparency in the organization as we, as we work through uncertainty as well. I think, you know, we will have to continue to recognize and communicate when, when we have the answers and when we don't have all the answers to the, you know, to the challenging questions at a particular point in time. And when we don't, I think we have to commit as an organization to working together to find answers and solutions for our patients and our team members. I think these are all critical things. And I think, you know, all of us, you know, all, all of us across the organization, you know, are committed to this, committed to thinking about the implications of all of our decisions for health disparities, how we achieve a just and equitable organization and how we keep each other 
you know, safe and keep our patients safe and doing well as we work through these uh, unprecedented times. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much to both of you for being here and explaining this useful information. As the ramping up process continues, all faculty and staff should be sure to stay tuned to the regular COVID-19 email updates and Michigan Medicine headlines, which can be found at mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. Now, if you were to check out headlines this week, you'd find some great featured stories. For instance, on Monday, the organization revealed that it has been named the number five hospital in the U.S., and number 15 in the world by Newsweek. It was also a deep dive into technology-driven research being performed within the organization, and team members learned all about the Employee Needs Fund, which provides emergency financial assistance. Find those stories and more at mmheadlines.org. All right, it's time for the weekly trivia contest. Last week, we asked listeners, supply chain has reached out to partners in which country? to help make sure the organization has the equipment it needs to keep everyone safe. The answer is China. Congratulations to Stephanie Shear, who won last week's contest. Stephanie, a member of the Department of Communication, will be in touch shortly to help you claim your prize. Now for this week's question. Which publication recently named Michigan Medicine as the number five hospital in the US? Once again, which publication recently named Michigan Medicine the number five hospital in the US? Find the answer by rewinding the show just a few minutes or by checking out Monday's edition of Headlines. Once you know it, send it to headlines at med.umich.edu and you have a chance to win a great prize. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much, Dr. Mulholland and Dr. Miller for being with us. And thank you to all of our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.